I would now like to introduce, introduce our speaker for tonight, Ira. A big look? Hi, everyone. My name is Ira, and I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm grateful to be here. Uh, thanks, John. Um, uh, as I have been wont to say many times, I will go anywhere to hear me talk. So, um, to qualify, and uh, congratulations, that's great. Uh, I have been an Overeaters Anonymous and abstaining continuously since September 7th of 1983. So, uh, let's see, December 7th would be um, 23 years and three months of continuous absence. I may take about 135 pound weight loss for a little over 21 years. Uh, for about 15 years, I was maintaining about 150-pound weight loss, 15, 16 years, something like that. Um, and I wanted to be the one and only 100-pounder to ever, like, never gain a pound back, you know, or any of that kind of thing. I came in at age 34, and uh, November 30th, I'll be 58. And I'm in better shape now, certainly, than I was when I came in, albeit my voice is getting a little... Well, frankly, or something like that. But uh, I, I was one of the first speakers, I think, to, to speak at this meeting, and I think it's a great testament to like um, what Overeaters Anonymous can be that there is a meeting like this, that people are attending it. And uh, um, I'm also sober, and Alcoholics Anonymous, the same amount of time. So I was like uh, doubly addicted, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and I can only share what my experience is, my strength, my hope, my opinions for what they're worth. Uh, first thing I'll tell you is, for those people who, who have difficulty sharing, or are, again, I hear this in this program quite a bit, I'm not sure whether I should take this chip. I don't know whether I have any recovery or not, or all of that kind of thing. Uh, what my... And I, by the way, have had the same sponsor virtually for, of the 23 years, about 22 and a half of them. His name is Marty B. And he is, um, um, he will be 79 his next birthday. He's out hunting as we speak for turkey. That's what he's doing. He will go anywhere to get a good meal. But, um, in this case, the mountains above Kolinga. But, um, uh, he's he's uh, he's something else, and the thing about him is he knows everything there is to know about me. And um, so one of the things he told me, and he also is sober, as uh, the people who helped me get into this program, uh, was that the reason that we share, okay, is not yeah yeah it is to help another person. Okay, and experience strength at home. But here's the thing: if I'm a compulsive overeater, I have an addiction, just like if I'm an alcoholic. And uh, in this book, uh, step one is all in chapter three, more about alcoholism, which therefore means that step two is how he taught it to me is in step four, which says we agnostics can't believe. Which is why, when you read the steps, 
in chapter 5, after the steps it says, being convinced we were at step 3, this would, how do we turn it over and what do we do? See? So the point is, and, and, and there's a bunch of, there are four, uh, and, and by the way, the reason I know this, the only reason I know it is because what I was told to do, and they told me what to do, they didn't suggest it to me, they told me what to do at the, at, at the beginning, I had a sponsor telling me to call him uh, at, uh, uh, I must have had a spiritual experience, my, my home meeting is a 100 pounders meeting in Reseda, um, in the valley, and uh, they told me in those of us that are in the valley who are alcoholic, I won't tell you about overeaters, but that, that is that we are not pretty. We may not be pretty, but we are sincere. So please believe us. Um, but there was a guy named Vern W. who used to, he was a, a newscaster. He's about, I think when he died, he had about 40 years sobriety. And I went to a men's stag. Uh, a Monday night men's stag AA meeting and it was on the third step and he was apparently he wasn't feeling that good I think at that time because it wasn't long after but he didn't particularly want to talk about the third step he didn't particularly want to do a talk period but he said this is the only thing I because I do what I'm told this is what I'm going to tell you about the third step the third step is that you do what you're told Another way of thinking about the third step is, all right, officer, I'll come quietly. (laughs) But the reason I'm mentioning this is because this is what Marty told me about sharing. Um, That if I'm a compulsive overeater, according to this book, the only way I will stop overeating, and I don't care whether you manifest it with bulimia, bulimia, anorexia, whatever, if I have this addictive thing, the only way that I will stop is to have this intercession of a higher power. Okay, a spiritual experience. Which physically manifests itself by helping other people. So that my purpose in sharing is to help other people. Because that's the only way I'm going to... And, you know, listen, my food has been far from perfect, whatever that means. The book says in chapter, you know, one says no one among us will ever maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We're not saints. Nobody will get it. It's just, except like you, every one of us, I think, feel like, yeah, except me. i got to do this perfect, you know. So, I, you know, and there have been times when I've, I've eaten fast, eaten too much, made bad food choices, my latest uh, thing, and it's, 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 it's nuts. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I was told to do a food inventory, um, um, and in, in the inventory, this is what Marty had me do on a yellow paper. You remember, I remember, he told me, he says, you got a yellow paper, and it's, you know, referring to legal-sized paper, because it's longer than it is wide, so, uh, which was certainly not the way I looked when I came in here. Um, uh, and in one column, in the left column, he said, foods that don't matter to you. Foods that you can eat a bunch of or none. You know, things like broccoli, Brussels sprouts. Um, mostly vegetable things, I think. But, you know, there, there were some other things on there, too. And in, and in the second column, in the middle, foods that you can eat but that you need to limit in some way. Um, and the limit might not be the amount. It might be the condition 
in which I eat it. Um, uh, for instance, for me, one of those foods would be like chicken. I can eat like up to half a chicken, but if I start eating more than that, and there have been occasions where I've had more than a half chicken, I start to crave it. And, and in the doctor's opinion, it talks about that's the difference between people, for instance, who may overindulge with food and, I'm paraphrasing with food as opposed to alcohol, and over, uh, compulsive overeaters. We, we suffer the phenomenon of craving. When I'm, like if I eat one of those foods I'm addicted to, the minute I'm finished about it, I'm still thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about when to get the next hit. And I become obsessed with it. That's what makes us different than people who, like for whom, say, Jenny Craig or Lindora's works fine for. You know, we can't stop because we get obsessed. Then we eat the food that we're allergic to. Then we become obsessed all over again. And so, according to Marty, you know, the people who have helped me with this stuff, um, the only hope that I have is this spiritual experience that they talk about in the back of this book, which from which I'll... It's, it's on uh, page 567 of the fourth edition, 569 of the third. And this is the first thing it says. It says, the term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to recover, to bring about recovery from compulsive overeating has manifested itself among us in many different forms. In other words, it's a personality change. It is not insight. It is not, I'm going to be a good person now. It isn't a diet. If I am a... This is now... I certainly... I don't have any uh, old pictures for which I'm sorry. I used to carry them around. Lost them. We found some more. Susan was kind enough to find some in some allowance. I may have still misplaced those too. Um, I can tell you my driver's license thing is, is that I lied on my driver's license. Because my driver's license when I came here said that I was 5'11" and weighed uh, 270 pounds. When, in fact, I am five, six and three quarters, and I weighed about, I was coming down from a high that I know of about 325. And this is the third time that I had to lose 100 pounds. Or I've had to lose. This is the first time that I've maintained it for any uh, consistency length of time. Although, uh, the diet that I went on before I got here was when liquid protein was in vogue, which was in about 1978, 79, something like that. And they had two flavors, cherry and lime, and the lime really was not good. Uh, and then you had to take, no, that, the problem wasn't the liquid protein, it was the potassium thing, that you had, the K-Lite, which was cherry and lime, and that was what was no good. The lime tasted like sand, flavored sand to me. I've never really eaten sand, but I feel like that if uh, I had tasted sand, that probably that was what it would taste like. So I had lost 106 pounds in three months, ending uh, in, in April of that year. And uh, I, I was 
married at that time to a person who I've since divorced. And uh, I went through that divorce, abstinent and sober, with help through this program. And I met my soulmate, Susan, in this program. And we've been together now. Uh, we got married in March of 96, met in October of 94. We have a beautiful house in the valley on a hill. And if you'd have told me I would, that that would have been my path, I would have said, you're out of your mind. Because like I did, I had the self-worth of I don't know what when I came in here. Very angry. You know, by, by the way, one other thing I found in inventory, that all the anger, you know, talks about resentment and all that kind of stuff. Is, is based, it's, it's, it's basis is anxiety and fear anyway, you know. Anyway, um, where was I? So, there's this thing now, the spiritual experiences, personality change. Oh, oh, the point of the story of the liquid protein is, at the end of that, uh, my ex-wife and I went to Hawaii, and I got one of those dashikis, you know, because I could fit into it, and I, you know, was down. I wore a size 30, I think. You know, basically I, I wear around a 38 now. There was one time I was between a 34 and 36, but like you know, and I used to weightlift in here. Point is, is that within in the eight days that um, we were in Hawaii, which is mostly the Big Island of Hawaii, uh, I gained 17 pounds. And I couldn't, and I had these winter white pants that went with this lovely purple dashiki. You know, I was, I'm forever trying to be hip, you know, forever. And I'm a musician, which doesn't necessarily mean that you're hip, it just means that you think you are. You know? <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, my AA sponsor said I'm artiste. That's with an accent grab on the E. He said all that means, and he's a musician, uh, at the time, or for a long time, he was a music director of a major show. Um, he's since passed away. His name is Joe. Um, and he said all that uh, an art, being an artiste means is that you can't hold on a day job, which I have proved to be true. I have a real, I admire, my wife has her own company. I mean, I really admire people who can can do that. I cannot do that. I mean, uh, I, mean I can't. It's like, you know what? What I've learned, too, here's another one that I've learned. You do what you got to do. You know, um, you know, it's like, uh, but you don't understand. My case is different. Joe said those are the only eight words that, that would ever make him mad at me. That I could rob, rape, mill- uh, murder, pillage, you know, be a terrorist, do everything, right? But the only thing that will make him mad is if he hears the words, but you don't understand. My case is different. Okay. Because... It is that, this idea that I think I'm different, that separates me from you and the recovery. And the basic, the reason I want to think that I'm different is why. I think it's some deep-seated psychological problem. No, it's that way. If I'm different, then guess what? I don't have to follow your rules. And then you'll still like me, even though I keep acting like a jerk. You know? And if I spend as much energy in recovery as trying to to act that out, my recovery would be even easier than it was, you know. So I gained this weight back, and this is the third time that I've had to have 100 pounds off. I thought when I came into OA that I would, I weighed, I gained maybe 10 pounds. 
from that license plate, uh, from that license plate, that license driver's license weight of about two. I figured I was about 270. And boy, was I shocked when I found out that I was coming down from 325. And it, it, how perverse it is, and how sick I am is. I thought that's neat. Jesus, I've, I've arrived. I, I got over 300 pounds. If I'm going to eat, I'll eat with conviction. You know, um, I, I had an uncle who was an influence in my life. He was a comedy writer for, among other people, Jackie Vernon. His name was Bernie. He um, uh, died at 56. He was uh, about 6'5 or 6'6. Never weighed less than 350. And he would have these turkey, he would make these huge salads of turkey, you know, you know, I mean, and just have them. But he never lost weight. He was usually around 400 pounds. He, he died of a heart attack um, in, uh, that year before my father did, in 78. He had uh, pain, uh, like acid indigestion, that didn't go away. Went to Brotman Hospital. He had a place uh, over on... Uh, Bagley, over you know north of Culver City, and uh, they found out that he had had a massive heart attack inside his heart. It wasn't like a blocked vessel, but it was in the heart itself. And this is typical of people like us, I guess. Certainly him. Um, I went to visit him, and for the first time in my life ever, this guy like could handle everything. He he was a he had a huge career. He could sell anybody anything. I mean, he was. Something else. And I admired him. And I was afraid of him. But he looked scared. You know, for the first time. Pale, scared, frightened, you know. Like, and this huge guy, like I say, he must have weighed four and a quarter or something like that. See, I only made it to three and a quarter. So I still, you know, I didn't, I didn't achieve what he achieved. You know, so, so uh, he... And I have no idea what I'm going to say tonight. You know, I mean, this is that's the neat thing. I haven't think, thought about this in a long time. But um, what he did was, and he knew everything about everything. He did, never had a college degree, but he had a photographic memory. He read, read everything, including medical books. And he had diabetes. They had chopped off chunks of his foot on the way up because it was gangrenous because of the diabetes. But that didn't stop him from eating. You know, and he was a success. So he's one of us, boy. I'll tell you. He would have, he could have, he would convince any one of you, including John and myself and Susan, why this program doesn't work, and we believe it. <laughs> you know, I don't care like how much abstinence you had. He he'd convince you. Except there's one little problem. He died at 56. You know, by himself. Because what happened was, is that uh, a couple of days later, he had read all the medical books. He was a little less scared. He was feeling a little better. Checked himself out of the hospital. This is with a massive heart attack in the middle of his heart, right? Uh, I was working on a, a job in Palm Springs, and I got back, and my ex-wife told me that Bernie died. And how they found that out was, is that uh, three days after that, uh, nobody had heard from him, and there was a strange smell coming from his apartment. So the management let him in, let themselves in. They found him uh, bent over, uh, either in the act of taking his pants off or putting them on, uh, in the toilet. And his heart had stopped, and you know his body was like this. He was bent over, and, and that was it. 
Three days later, needless to say, it, uh, it was a closed casket funeral, you know. So that's what I came in here with. I mean, thoughts like that, you know. Um, so that all the knowledge, you know, it says self-knowledge available is nothing, but we don't believe that. See, see, here's the thing about being a compulsive overeater, right? I'm the kind of guy, if, you, if I figure out why I eat, I'll go celebrate by eating. Oh, that's why my bastard father, son of a bitch, dysfunctional jerk, he's the reason that I eat. Or what? My boss just doesn't like me. That's why I eat. Or my wife doesn't understand me. That's why I eat. People don't do what I think they should. That's why I eat. Right? And why do I go through this? Now, I have a wonderful therapist. Terrific shrink. I've been, I've, I've been in men's groups. In fact, I, I was in a group uh, a few years ago where, where there were all 12-step guys. There were about five of us. It was great. But here's the thing that I have discovered in my path is the reason that I want to find out why I eat is because I figure if I know why I eat, I can what? Control it. And what does this say? The first step, it says, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become manageable. There's not even an and in there. A lot of people put it there, but there isn't. It is one sentence with two dependent clauses. It's not separate. You know, it's... In other words, I'm screwed. You know. So what's the miracle? The miracle is I go to a 100-pounders meeting in, in Reseda. I had been exposed to OA in 1979. In, uh, in fact, Joe's sponsor, he invited him over. I didn't know this till later. It's a guy named Clancy. Clancy Immeslund, who started a thing called the Pacific Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, the biggest meeting of which is on Wednesday nights at University Synagogue, not far from here. There are by now about 1,400 people go to that meeting, including, and this, you talk about willingness, uh, I found this out later, that there are people who caravan up from National City, which is south of San Diego, between San Diego and the Mexican border, every Wednesday night. They have, uh, 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 like, everybody stands in line for an hour. Uh, the meeting itself, I believe, starts at 8, and people get there between 6.30 and 7 just to socialize. Every week. There are about 1,400 people. About There are something like 360 people who do service at that meeting, including people who, light, who put the candles in the birthday case, people who set up the chairs, people who park, you know, and at the time that I first was exposed to this, I thought, this is nuts. This is like Nazism reincarnate, you know. But it works because these people are sober. They may be nuts, but they're sober, you know. And uh, so Clancy meets me. And, and, I, I wanted, and I went to a meeting, and I wanted nothing whatsoever to do with it. But I remembered something. Joe, Clancy's sponsee, who was my boss at the time, offered, and he was not, uh, he was a very good-looking guy who did not have a food problem, offered to take me to an OA meeting in 1979. My wife, at the time, 
was going, and she was very typical of a lot of people. She'd go to meetings, she had friends, was very spiritual, except that she couldn't stop eating. You know, she'd get a little bit of absence, she, you know, and all that kind of thing. So I really didn't think very much of it because I'm too smart for this kind of stuff. I'm too short and too smart. That's my problem. So um, uh, he volunteers to take me. And it's in some place like this, you know, a, a school of a church. And there are, we get there about 20 minutes earlier. I, I met him there. And there were, you know, a few women and setting up some chairs. I didn't see any guys. And, of course, I had no idea of, like, what that had to do with me or my eating at the time. All I knew is that, I, if you remember, I said that most what I know now through inventory is, is that the bulk of my anger, and I was a very angry man, still am, but less than I used to be. See, I'll t- an aside, the progress we talk about where it says progress, not perfection, it's spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. What spirituality I found out is, is this idea of being sh- of sharing. And that my nature is I'm very self-centered and selfish, and I'm narcissistic as hell. You know, it's like, well, enough about me. What do you think about me? You know, it's like that kind of thing. Um, come on, tell me. You know, that kind of, that kind of thing. And, and, and so I'm extraordinarily selfish, and that's what gets me into trouble. And so I have to overcome that. And I, it's, since human beings are phobic about change, I found that out, that's not easy to do. And so I need help, a higher power, to do what I can't do by myself. You know, that kind of thing. So I'm angry. I see these when I say to him, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. This is stupid. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. And he said something very interesting four years before I actually came into the program. He was furious. He, he had made a special trip. He's not an overeater to meet me. You know, he liked me enough. I mean, he liked my work and... and he said there was, we, were, we were very much alike in a lot of ways, personality-wise. But he said, Ira, you know, he says, you can keep killing yourself, which is obviously what you're trying to do, or you can come in with me to survive. What's it going to be? Went in and slammed the door. And I left in a huff. I seem to leave in a huff a lot in my life. I, I don't know what that's about, but. Um, but four years later I remembered that when I was in a real my bottom was not I had gained this amount of weight I had lost now this is, I must be an overeater because I wanted to lose, be below 300 so I can fit into an airplane seat to go to Europe now that's a kind of an interesting goal in life you know some people want to be doctors you know some people want to be president Although that's probably in our uh, time a little more insane than wanting to get below 300 so I could fit into an airplane seat. Um, but I was ready. I had I hit some low points, and what the bottom was for me was uh, I had lost some weight. I was I got below 300. My dad had died in '78 of complications of this disease. He gave up because he couldn't eat salami eggs anymore because of his diabetes. He needed to stop, shut his kidneys down. He couldn't have salt. So this is the background that brings me here, you know. And uh, eating wasn't fixing it. I had we had a at the place that uh, my ex-wife and I had an apartment had a, had a barbecue. To, 
And I would cook up these 40-ounce steaks, man. See, I'm, I'm a growing boy. I, I mean, for me, it's not sweets. I mean, sweets are great to, like, kill the taste of all the grease and the salt. But for me, it's like nourishing food, like steaks, prime rib, the thicker the better, you know, and all of it. You know, um, so I, one of the things I've abstained from ever since when I got dipped less is red meat. I, I will occasionally eat lamb or veal, but I say, and I have, and, and that personality change it talks about has happened because it has not been difficult for me to stay away from that. Sometimes I like to indulge, and that gets me into trouble, but I, I've stayed away from it. I haven't eaten bread since September 7th of 83. That's the truth. I mean, I had, I, I've taken a piece of matzah, I happen to be Jewish, at, uh, you know, Passover, but enough to do the spiritual thing. And what I was told by spiritual teachers, and I've been on a, a journey for a long time, that if, if, it's for the, if it's for spiritual reasons, you will have no trouble. In fact, I heard this, and this is great. You can take this one to the bank. Uh, um, a, psychi- a, a, a psychologist I had, who, who also was spiritually connected, told me this, which was, which was about the third step, although he wasn't a 12-step guy. He said, Irene, since the decision you make is not what's important. What's important is what's the state of consciousness you're in when you make it. That's what's important. That's what the third step is about. Because what I've learned is, is that when I make a decision, even in a righteous cause, based on negative thinking or fear, Inevitably, I'm going to cause myself chaos. And the game is that I don't want to cause myself chaos, except that I'm familiar with chaos. So, I, so what I think, sometimes I think I want the chaos, but what I really am afraid of is changing. I'm going through career changes now, and I've been very successful. I'm in the uh, uh, entertainment business as a music arranger, and I've done very well. And I continue to do very well, and, and Susan's incredibly supportive of me. But I haven't worked on a, I've, I've been involved with as an orchestrator, and I've orchestrated uh, music for some very famous people, and I've been on some very big projects, but I haven't done something like that in a couple of years, you know. And I've been working, but I can see it's changing. And, you know, the serenity prayer says, by the way, accept what I can't change, have the courage to change what I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. See, and I learned that in here. I learned that, like, there are no victims, only volunteers. I learned that here. I learned that happiness is an inside job. I learned that here. That if I can't see, here's the thing about spirituality. Oh, at one of those uh, Pacific Group meetings, I heard a great a speaker say this about God, if you have trouble with God or higher power. And this is what he, and I'll, I'll use what he said. He said, he said, in order to be successful with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the only awareness that you need to have about a higher power is reasonable clarity that you're not it. That's what I, and, and, and Joe would, would tell me over and over again, who's running the show, who's running the show, when I get into trouble, and I have gotten into I don't know anybody in here that hasn't gotten into trouble one, at one time or another about something. Because everything passes. You know, it's like, how do you feel today? Great. This too shall pass. You know. Feel miserable? It'll pass. 
So I can't bank on anything material, see. It's just that I want to, be it the food, a relationship, you know, um, a job, money, because it all ends. You know, I make real good money, and we just did a, a, a huge home improvement, and I've got stuff coming up, and I'm finishing a project. I mean, I've had some great things happen to me since I've been in the program, because what I learned in, for instance, about my business is 90% of it is not my chops. It's how it's dealing with people. And you guys taught me that. You didn't teach it to me through the steps, by the way. You taught it to me through the traditions. You know, everybody talk, a lot of people talk about the step, you know, steps and the tools. The tools are, are adjunct. They're, they're to help us take the steps. But without the steps, and I can act as if, but without the steps, because I'm a compulsive over here, like I said, I'm going to eat sooner or later. And that the reason that I have to come here, and this is the whole point of this story here, the reason I have to come here and talk to you or have sponsees or take a service position is because, according to the book, the only way I can manifest spirituality is by action. And the only way I can take action to, to stem the tyranny of compulsive overeating is to help another overeater. So if I don't do this with you, guess what i got to do? i got to go over here to the, that store that you can't park at, find, find somebody like who's like maybe, you know, a, a woman five feet tall, 300 pounds, and a muumuu or something. And as she's checking out with her stash, grab her by the shoulder, turn around and, and say, hey, listen, are you really happy this way? Chances are she ain't going to talk to me. You know, I sponsor about four or five people. Um, I think it's really important. What I see in a way that's different from my experience in AA is people, and I don't think it's laziness. I think people are afraid here. And we're really, we want everybody to be happy all the time. And guess what? Everybody ain't going to be happy all the time. And I'm not responsible for everybody being happy all the time. That's not, that's not what love is. I have the gift of un- unconditional love in here. I had a sponsor tell me what it was. It's, he wanted me to win regardless of what I thought of him. And sometimes we got into fights, you know. But the fights are because I'm debating. He wasn't debating, you know. It's just he wasn't telling me what I wanted to hear. And I get mad when that happens, you know. But I know myself today. I've done lots of inventories in many different ways. And it's nothing to be scared of, and I made my amends. And there are promises, by the way. You know, everybody's at meetings, and we have this, like, very dramatic moment about the nine-step promises, you know. But I got news for you. There's some promises that happen as a result of sharing with somebody, and they're on page 75 of this book. For those of you who, who think you have to wait to, to make amends, uh, you, you know, do half your amends to... By the way, that's what halfway through means, that you've made half your amends. That's what that means. It doesn't mean halfway through what? Uh, losing weight? That's not what it means. At least, that's my opinion. You know, what do they say? Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. So. Anyway, this is what it says on page 75 in, um, into action. It says, We pocket our pride and go into it, illuminating every twisted character, every dark cranny of the past. Now, here's where the promises start. Once we have taken this step withholding nothing, we are delighted. That's the first. We can look the world in the eye. That's the second promise. We can be alone in perfect peace and ease. That's the third promise. Our fears fall from us. 
Anybody would, would anybody like to have that happen? Our fears fall from us? That's the fourth promise listed here. Um, we begin to feel the nearness of our Creator. That's the sixth promise. We may have had certain spiritual beliefs, but now we begin to have a spiritual experience. That's the seventh. The feeling that the, I'll paraphrase, eating problem has disappeared will often come strongly. That's the uh, eighth promise. We feel that we are on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe. That's the ninth promise. So there are nine promises just from sharing what's real. And what happened for me once I had the spiritual experience, which is I went to this Wednesday night meeting, remembering that Joe had said, you know, you can keep killing yourself if you want, or you can come in what's it going to be. And I remember that four years later. So you never know what it is that you're going to, what it is, how you, how you affect people. So this idea that you don't have anything to say or you don't think so is strictly an ego-driven thing. Because if I don't have anything to say that way, I don't have to do anything that you do. And, my, and Marty used to tell me, he says, if I want what he has, and I'm unwilling to do the, the work that he did to get it, that's the philosophy of a thief. You know? If I want what you... And, and one of the cop-outs that I've seen in an AA, I've seen it here too. Am I, am I out time? No. Uh, one of, one of the cop-outs is, well, I'm a compulsive overeater. Of course I'm an idiot. I'm an asshole and a jerk and all that stuff. That doesn't do, because Bill Wilson said a long time ago, all too often we make the good the enemy of the best. What this program has done is got me a life that is unbelievable from that first meeting. Uh, it, it started in the parking lot because the secretary was late, and me, with the intellect that I have and the power I have, would have been a perfect excuse to say, this doesn't work, I'm leaving, like I did four years earlier. Except that I stayed in the parking lot while the newcomer's person was talking. This was on, in September between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur of 1983. And so this secretary comes. We, we go sit in, and that meeting was crazy. And there was smoking back there. There was, like, people. I thought I'd be the fattest person there. And, boy, was I angry that I wasn't. They took that away from me, too. I couldn't even be number one at being fat. Because there was a guy named Don H., I remember this man, who must have weighed 500 pounds, and it appeared, now I understand this now, since we're still like 90% women, it appeared that he was hitting on women and they were responding to a guy 500 pounds. And I said, that's not fair, man. You know. But I stayed, and this lovely lady named Shelly comes up to me. Well, there were about 12 newcomers at that meeting. And at that time, there were about 90 meetings in the San Fernando Valley, well, you know, there's about 80 then, it grew to 90, but then it shrunk. We've all shrunk. And not in a good way. And, and if I had more time, I'd tell you what I, why I think that's happened, but I don't. So, anyway, she comes up to me at about two minutes to eight, and she says, how are you doing? I wrote with a big smile. And it wasn't a sexual thing. This is the first place. I had always felt like life was like in a hallway. I was outside of a hallway where the windows are real uh, fogged up and dirty, and I'm trying to get attention to be let in and life is going on, and this is the first place where I felt included. And she said, how you doing, Ira? And at two minutes, I said, you know, I never have to be alone again, do I? I start to cry. Now, as a man, I had not cried at my father's funeral. I didn't like him. Uh, I cried a little bit at my, my father-in-law's, but I mean, little tears, but I always was very controlled. And here it is. I see a guy that takes an, uh, a nine-month chip. His name was Harvey S., he has passed away of this disease badly. He, he got very ill in a bad way of the result of this disease. But he was wearing a yellow band, remember Banlon shirts, you know, and he had a belly out to here. You know, 
you can't see it, but a belly out to here. And, and it was uh, in the, at the uh, 100 Powers, it's like audience time. See, and, and so like, they say nine months, and he goes, yo, like that, runs up, and gets the chip, and you know, like this. And what he had that I wanted was, see, he wasn't ashamed of being fat, or it didn't appear to be. He wasn't ashamed of himself. He just went for it. And I asked him if I could call him. Okay. And he said, call me before six, uh, 6.30 in the morning. Now, being an artist, I never got up before noon. Without a, without, without a um, what do you call it, without a, uh, uh, an alarm, I was up at a quarter to six, because he was a janitor in the L.A. school system. Here, I, here this Mr. Artist Intellect is going to, and every, ever since then I started calling my food, and I still to this day tell somebody what I'm going to eat every day. It makes me accountable. It's a one-day-at-a-time program. You know, I've had a lot of good stuff. I've been at 11 or 12 World Service Conferences. Uh, I'm not saying this is an ego thing. My story happens to be in the Overeaters Anonymous book. And that was an honor. It's a privilege, man. It's a, it's a privilege to be here talking to you. Because here's the thing. I'm talking to you. You're listening to me, right? Even if you're bored, silly. But let me ask you a question. Is anybody in here, like, having to run out now and get something to eat? We're here listening to each other. That's the program. You want to know what the program is? You want to play a little thing with me? This is it. Joe gave me this. Everybody in here, focus on something in the room. Just right now. Just look at anything in the room. Focus on something. Is every, you, you, you all got that, the thing that you're looking at? You're all looking at something, right? Do me a favor. Without moving your body, turn your head five degrees to the right from whatever it is that you're looking at. Turn your head. Don't keep trying to look at it. Just turn your head five degrees to the right and look at what you're looking at now. Is the picture, is what you see now what you saw before? It changed, didn't it? What changed? What changed? Nothing in the room moved. Your perception changed. That's the program. Thanks for letting me share it with you.